Oh, no woo. Woohoo! Hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. I'm your host, Chris, and I'm joined, as always, with Joe. Say hi, Joe. Hello, everybody. And today, we are actually going to be taking a look at the flashback mechanic. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the, this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. I'm your host, Chris. And, and I'm, I'm drunk- Joe. Oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if all... That's the extra cost that goes into flashback. <laughs> And that gig just didn't play out. If all those fellas, you can fix it in post and just copy and paste it. Sorry, guys. I messed up. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> all right. So just to get some stuff out of the way, uh, feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions, comments, concerns, deck ideas, show ideas. Um, you can do so by emailing us at m- at mtg under the hood at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at mtg under the hood as well. So, for the deck of the week, Joe, what have you been working on? Well, we've had a guy that is coming to our our, our LGS for FNM, and he is extremely excited about a competitive standard event that's going to be happening in about a month from the time of this recording. He's been playtesting decks and everything, and so he got me kind of thinking, like, I really should get a new standard deck together. Because standard actually seems kind of fun for a little while. I mean, it's it's still not my favorite format to play, but it, it seems fun. So I went home, and I, I did do a little bit of research on, okay, what kind of decks are people actually building? What are the color combinations that are really working? And then what can I build without spending a lot of money and try to be a little bit unique at the same time? I came up with what I'm calling the Is It Stitcher deck. So it is basically an Is It Spellslinger deck, but it is using the card Poppet Stitcher from Midnight Hunt. And whenever I cast an instant or a sorcery spell, I get a 2-2 zombie creature token with Decayed. But at the beginning of my upkeep, if I have three or more tokens, I can flip Poppet Stitcher into, what is it, Poppet manufactory or something like that. It, anyway. Yeah, something like that. The the, the point of it is uh, all of my tokens become base power toughness 3-3 three, three, and they lose all of their abilities. So They lose the decade. They lose the decade. So my goal is by having four poppet stitchers in there, I'll eventually be able to cast a bunch of removal and disruption spells against my opponent to keep them under control until I finally have enough tokens I flip Poppet Stitcher, and hopefully I'll have, like, two Poppet Stitchers on the field by this time. And they'll both flip. Oh, no, no, no. I, I flip one. I don't have to flip them. I flip one oh, to yeah, make all my tokens. Transform. Exactly. So I can make my tokens three threes, and I still have one Poppet Stitcher that's churning out more tokens every time I cast an instant or sorcery. Um, so I, I like the idea. In practice, it... Well... The guy that I'm playing against is running a very aggressive deck. Like, it's a mono-black aggressive deck where everything is one or two CMC. And it is basically aggressive zombies and kill spells. And it, it doesn't matter what I do. I just... I, I can't. I can't beat it. <laughs> yeah. He's going to do very well at this standard event. I'm I'm really excited to hear how he does in a couple weeks. Anyway... But it put up a good fight, and I think it would do well in the current standard meta. I don't think it would win. It's certainly not going to. But I had a majority of the cards. I also threw in, like, Magmatic Chandler 
to help me get through some cards a little bit faster if I need to. And it can end up being a 4-4 for two, which you can't go wrong with those stats. And then, of course, there's Delver of Secrets, Yay. which uh, the 1-1 one, one for one that is probably going to turn into a 3-2 flyer shortly after. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... That's my new deck idea. It'll probably be my standard deck for a little while, at least until uh, you know, and, until the Poppet Stitcher rotates out in you know two years. So I'll be happy with that. Chris, what are you working on? So life is a little hectic and whatnot, and just don't really seem to have a lot of free time to sit down and like actually work on deck construction and everything. But in my free time. After listening to a episode of EDH Rec, they mentioned a card, and I was like, oh, I have that card. All right, I'm going to start brewing it. So I'm in the process of brewing a commander deck that is headed by Glissa the Traitor. And the nice thing is, is the card that I have is a promo from when it was released. So it has a little bit of nice. sentimental value in, in it as well. And uh, so I'm going to be building a commander deck that's built around her and artifacts and one of the sleeper control options in it that, I, that I'm going to be putting into it is Mind Slaver so that I can do a mind lock situation if someone is getting a little out of hand. And so I can just take control of their turn, swing in with their creatures, let mine die, uh, block with my commander their creature will die, I'll bring Mind Slaver back to my hand, and then whenever it becomes my turn, I can repeat the process over. Yep, that'll be uh, pretty vicious right there. Um, but I'm still, like, I don't want to make it overly oppressive, but I want right. it to be able to hold its own. So I'm trying to walk this nice fine line yeah. of, like, I, I want it to be, to be casual, but I also want it to kind of be somewhat competitive, mm -hmm. like, you know, somewhat higher power. But I might take a uh, page out of the EDH Rec Guys book, and uh, they were like, if you're still trying to build a deck, have, like, 15 cards that as a maybe board so that as you go and you play and you yeah. get the reps in, you can go, all right, this goes out, this comes in. Yeah. So that you can, it's kind of always changing, but it'll get tuned eventually yeah. and by doing it that way. So I'm going to be doing, so I'm going to have it to where, my maybe board is going to be how I fluctuate between, like, casual and competitive. Cool. Like That'd be interesting. I'm, I also kind of took a page out of your book with the whole, like, choose your own adventure with, who is it, Mael? Oh, Mael the Anima. Yeah. 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 So, I, so I'm uh, just going to kind of do that. More choose the way you want to die. Uh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that All was right. a fun deck. All right. So let's move on to words to live by. So I'm going to take the first one. No, sorry. Joe's going to take the first one, and I'm going to take the second one. So Joe, right. what's the first one? Our first word to live by is non-bow. This is a nice little slang term that is based off of the idea of a combo. So when you have a combo in Magic, you have two or more cards that work really well together and usually create a game state where you're in great shape. If you don't win straight out, you're in really good shape and you're put in a good position. A good combo is Glissa and... Mind Slaver. Exactly, exactly. They're two cards that work really, really well together. A non-bow is when you have two cards that initially you look at them and you say, these two should work great together. These are wonderful. 
I just found the greatest new idea and it works so simply. But in reality, the rules don't let you do what you think you're, you're, you're trying to do. And so your great combo turns into a non-bow. Uh, you know, just two things that, two cards that uh, on the surface look good, but they're just, they don't work. They don't interact the way you want them to. Chris, what's our next word to live by? So the next one is net deck. And what this is, it's developing your deck by researching already constructed decks through the interwebs. So what this means is like you go online and you find what like you look through like some of the top tier competitive decks that are currently on top of the meta right now and you pretty much copy and paste those cards into your cart or into your list and you build it that way. Now with net decking there's some people that are okay with it, some people that are like completely against it, some people that live by it. I mean I when I was thinking about going to the tournament uh, next month that we talked about earlier, yeah. um, I was, because I'm, I was stretched for time and everything, I knew I wouldn't have time to build a standard deck. So what I was planning on doing was net decking and just going, there's you know a deck in my category that I like, and yeah. I was just going to buy all the cards and everything. But work got in the way and I'm not going, so I saved myself a little bit of money that way. Um, but... I mean, there's people that do that either straight net deck by copy and pasting it yeah. or they'll take it and take like 95% of it but change a little bit of it to fit either what they have or their style or stuff like that. But net decking is just pretty much copying and pasting. It is. And like I said, you know, some people are okay with it. Some people absolutely hate it. And even in our playgroup over at our LGS, you see both sides of the spectrum. You know, it really, I, I've noticed that a lot of it has to do with how long a person has been playing. Typically, the longer you've been playing, the more people are against net decking, whereas the younger, less experienced players usually don't have too much of a problem with it, you know. Um, and like yeah. me, like me, I'm like, I'm right in the middle. Like I like, I can go either way on this argument. Yeah. Because I can see the merits of both sides. Yeah. Like, with the older players that are against it, they've been playing a lot longer, so they know more interactions, they know more cards. Well, they also, and played, also... They, they played at a time when you couldn't net deck. Mm-hmm. You know, it, or it, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't feasible to really do it. And your decks were a way to showcase your deck-building abilities. Exactly. And then, but on the other side... If you're going to be a competitive player, you want to know what the current... That's true. Top, yeah, what you, the top ones are so you can stay in the top standings. You're going to win. You're not going to just play. Yeah. yeah. So you want so, to get the best possible opportunity. So there's two sides to every coin. I mean, yeah, it's all down to user preference. But with all of that out of the way, let's get into the show focus of Flashback. All right. So for its history, it was premiered in the Odyssey block of the early Oddies or 2000s. Uh, and can easily be found on those older cards by the tombstone in the uh, top left of the card, right by the name. But also you want to remember that uh, not all the tombstone symbols deal with flashbacks. Some of them have functions that uh, have abilities that only work whenever that card is in the uh, graveyard. So if it has a tombstone, it's graveyard-related, but it's not always flashback. Yeah. Um, 
And since then, it has been associated uh, with the first Innistrad block. But it didn't come back in the Shadows over Innistrad block. Uh, Which was interesting. I don't know why, but that, they apparently chose not to use Flashback in that set. I, I think because they, they put so many other, other stuff into That's it. That's true. They did. They did do a lot of other stuff. Still. Anyway. And then it also appears in uh, the Time Spiral block, various master sets, commander products, and supplemental product releases such as net deck. Sorry, dual decks. Still got that net decking thing on your mind, huh? Yeah. <laughs> All right, Joe, I've talked enough. Let's hear about the rules from the judge. The rules. So flashback from our wonderful, well-known 702 section. Flashback can be found at 702.34. Flashback appears on some instants and sorceries. It represents two static abilities, one that functions while the card is in a player's graveyard and the other that functions while the card is on the stack. Flashback cost means you may cast this card from your graveyard if the resulting spell is an instant or sorcery spell by paying cost rather than paying its mana cost. And if the flashback cost was paid, Exile this card instead of putting it anywhere else anytime it would leave the stack. Casting a spell using its flashback ability follows the rules for paying alternative costs in rules 601.2b and 601.2f through h. So a couple important things to take from the rules at this point. Uh, flashback does only function in your graveyard. Flashback is only found on instant or sorcery spells. It is not found on anything else. We covered that in our last episode mm -hmm. with Disturb. Disturb is the way you get creatures out of the graveyard by paying that alternate cost. Uh, the other important point is that flashback is an alternative cost. So when you are looking at how you're paying for your, your spells, keep in mind that you can only pay one alternative cost at a time. So if a spell or ability allows you to play an instant or sorcery out of your graveyard without paying its mana cost, you cannot cast it for the flashback cost. Why you would want to do that, I'm not entirely sure. But again, I'm not here to tell you what's optimal. I'm here to tell you what you can do and what you can't do. All right. So uh, alternative costs, keep those in mind. And what's really important now, all right, so there's a fun little interaction that uh, realized, I believe it's in Shadow, or no, uh, um, Midnight Hunt. Anyway, with all the flashback spells that were coming back, there is a, a spell that allows you to return a spell or creature spell. Wait, a spell or a creature or a permanent on the battlefield. I forget exactly how it's worded, but it, it kicks it back to your hand rather than letting it resolve or countering it straight out. All right. Keep in mind, if you flash back an instant or sorcery, and someone plays this spell, and you know what? I, I really need to find the name of that spell now. Uh, if someone casts that spell that kicks the instant or sorcery back to your hand, because you flashed it back, it doesn't go back to your hand. It gets exiled it gets because exiled. it left the stack. It left the stack. It gets exiled. So effectively, they cast a counter spell. Because you, you're never getting that spell back now. You are not going... It's not like it's, they're actually giving you an extra copy of the spell now. It's gone forever. Exiled. Out of the game. So keep that in mind when you're starting to look at, at those spells with flashback. Uh, if someone pulls it off the stack, 
That's it. It's done. It just goes away. It doesn't have any other place to go. All right, I just thought of a Nambo. Um, and this is going to be for either Commander or Modern mm-hmm. or Pioneer. I think Pioneer goes back far enough. Um, not that it's Reversal. Because yes. it's copy target spell and then return it to its owner's hand. Um, so by doing it, so if you use Narset's reversal on that, it effectively becomes an exile spell. Yes, and so well, you when, get to copy it, but the original is the original will get exiled, and then actually, when you think about that, that's a really awesome way to do to use it because the original will get exiled. So, and if I remember Narset's reversal, you control the copy and get to choose new targets yes. for the copy. So essentially, you have stolen your opponent's spell. Entirely. They don't get it back at all. It goes away completely. So I don't that's so, actually a really good interaction. <laughs> so I don't well, I don't know if to classify that as alright, so it's a non bow if you're using it, but it's a combo if I think it's a really good interaction it's or a really a depressing interaction, depending right. on which side of the coin you're on. <laughs> Alright, so it's a flavorful interaction. Yes. Oh, very flavorful. Very flavorful. Uh, the last thing I did want to point out, there are a couple you know, cards that really are set for, for flashback. One is Snapcaster Mage. Uh, that, you know, whenever it, it enters the battlefield, an instant or sorcery card in your graveyard gains flashback until end of turn. So keep in mind... That again, you have to you have to choose an instant or sorcery, and you have to follow the timing rules for flashback on that. And then the other one actually comes to us from uh, Midnight Hunt. This new card is Lier, Disciple of the Drowned, and each instant and sorcery card in your graveyard has flashback. Uh, so again, you can it, they just they gain it. It's a static ability, so it's always looking there and seeing if the, the, that that instant or sorcery has flashback. And just again, you got to make sure you follow the timing rules on all of that. But it all does work. All right. So some of the featured cards we have. Uh, the first is Roar of the Worm. Roar of the Worm comes to us from Odyssey. And this is a wonderful little sorcery that allows you for the cost of six generic and a green to put a 6-6 six, six green worm creature token into play. Now, a lot of people look at that and go, you're paying seven to put a 6-6 you know, six, six into play? Yes. Yes, you are. All right, and you got to keep in mind, Odyssey was back in 2001 when a 6-6 for 7 was a fairly costed creature. Now, that people would look at that and go, no, why, why would you do that? But the flashback cost on Roar of the Worm, and this was more the reason why you played it. You didn't play it for the irregular mana cost. You paid it for the, played it to use it for its flashback ability, which is 3 generic and a green. So you're paying four for the for, so you're four flashing for it back six, six, for four right. to get a six six. Yes, you are not. You're you're designed to mill this or discard it out of your hand. That was the whole point. Get rid of it. Get it into the graveyard and get it out faster. Get it out. So you were paying only four for a six six. And if you really needed to pay the seven, you could pay the seven. You're more like if you had the mana to pay the seven, you could pay the seven, but you really wanted to just get it into your graveyard. Chris, what's our next one? All right, so the next one is Lava Dart that came out in the Judgment set. Um, for a red mana, it's an instant, and it uh, says Lava Dart deals one damage to target creature or player. And its flashback cost is Sacrifice a Mountain. So how this car, this card is absolutely beautiful in burn decks because they're fast. Yes. Yeah. And 
a lot of the burn spells are very low mana costing, so exactly. you have no... So, and Lava Dart fits in there because even though it's only one damage for one, you can kind of equate it to two damage for one because you're paying the one... You're paying the red mana for the Lava Dart, and then once that hits your graveyard, you're sacking that same mountain that you just yeah. tapped, the Lava Dart again, and I've seen... There were games at the Grand Prix where a guy had four lava darts in his graveyard and his opponent was at <laughs> four life and he just went, all right, um, at the end of your turn, I'm sacking these four mountains and flashing all of these back. Yeah. And it's like, okay, my turn. <laughs> it's like, okay, game over. Yeah, that's it. Game over. And it can come out of nowhere too. The next one we're going to look at is Army of the Damned, which I think is the first time we have cursed on this podcast. No, I think we said damn uh, the... Well, now we're just going to make a thing out of it. No, <laughs> no, the card damn. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay, all right, yes, yes, yes. Army of the Damned. Uh, it is a sorcery from the Innistrad, original Innistrad. It costs five generic, black, black, black. And it says, put 13 2-2 black zombie creature tokens onto the battlefield, tapped. And you can flash it back for seven generic black, black, black. When you really start looking at flashback cards, this is one of the cards that has uh, accumulated financial value. Uh, most of the flashback cards are just not overly expensive. But this one in particular, partially because it's a mythic rare, you know, rarity, but still. Uh, back when mythics actually still meant something. Yeah, exactly. Um, but this one still, you know, you're, you're getting 13 2-2 black zombie creature tokens for eight mana. 26 power onto the field for 8 mana. That's that's pretty powerful. Can't use it till next turn, though. Uh, yeah, you're right. But you're right. there's ways around that. There's ways around that, too. You know, And then you flash it back for 10, and you're still getting 26 power onto the battlefield. So it, it's a pretty good card in, in that regard. And again, it, it just goes to demonstrate that sometimes flashback costs can be more expensive, but we're going to talk about why that's not always a bad thing. And why they are, it is still a fair cost for what you're getting in the long run. All right, so the next one is Memory Deluge. It's a instant for two generic and blue blue. And it says, look at the top X cards of your library where X is the amount of mana spent to cast this spell. Put two of them into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. And its flashback cost is five, five generic blue blue. So whenever you cast it for the first time, you only get to look at the top uh, four cards, take two, bury two. And then you flash it back, and you get seven. You get to go through, dig down seven, right? grab two, bury the rest. So even though you're paying a little bit more, you're able to dig a little bit deeper. And this is another example where, you know, yes, playing paying it for the flashback cost actually much much better value for this card so yeah gladly pay seven to get to look at the top seven cards in my library yeah yeah i'll uh, do that i mean let's see right now uh consider which is the revamp yes. ponder mm -hmm. uh you're paying one to scry one but maybe surveil because if you don't if you don't want it you put it in your graveyard yeah all right so so you get yeah to... you could pay one to surveil and then draw a card yeah so if you're going off of that math, like, yeah, you you could play four considers in a row. You would get more cards, but at the same time, you would only be digging one at a time. Whereas with this one, you pay four, you look at four, you flash it back for seven. You're looking at seven, and then you're just 
digging down, you're taking two of them, you're putting five yeah. of them back, and it's just an easy way to find either the combo pieces or your win conditions. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And again, it, it's just one of those examples, too, where flashback, sometimes paying the higher cost, not a bad thing. Our last card is Siphon Insight. This is an instant for a blue and a black. And it says, look at the top two cards of target opponent's library, exile one of them face down, and put the other on the bottom of that library. You may look at and play the exiled card for as long as it remains exiled, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast that spell. And you can flash it back for a generic, a blue, and a black. Not really much else to say about this card. I mean, it's, it's pretty straightforward. The flashback cost is one generic more, but for what you're getting, again, it, it doesn't really matter. So... The, that, that's really about all. I mean, there's not much else about Siphon Insight that you really, we really need to talk about. I mean, you get to look at two for two, and you get to pretty much steal one. Yeah. And then you flash it back, and you do it all over again, and you can effectively use these as like future counter spells because if you that's true. if you happen to find you know in those two cards. If you happen to find like one of their combo pieces or yeah. one of their win conditions or something like a crucial part of their deck, you can just go, all right, I'm going to take that and exile it. And then you just remove one of those. You just removed one of those from their deck. And so that even if you never cast it, it doesn't oh, matter. Yeah. It's not in their, their potential anymore. Because it says you can cast it as long as it remains exiled. Yeah. It's not the whole, you know, as long as you control this or whatever, it's as long as it's as long as it remains exiled. As long as it's exiled, you can still play it. Yeah. Spend mana. So, and your opponent can't. Yep. That's the important part. Your opponent can't. So you're right. You're right. And the other one's going on the bottom of the library anyway. So they're not getting it anytime soon. So those are some of the featured cards. And like we said, there are a few cards that interact with flashback cards. We mentioned Snapcaster Mage. We mentioned Lier, Disciple of the Drowned. There are some other ones out there, but I think Snapcaster Mage in particular, that's the big one. <laughs> Oh yeah, that that's it. not only is it a big one, it's also a big price tag with it. Yeah, yeah, it is. But there's not a reason a for that. It, it, you're right. You're right. So the featured decks, there there aren't really any decks that feature flashback cards that are solely based around flashing cards back. It's more of a support than a feature. It really is. You know, you're looking at the ability of the spell. What does it do? What is it granting you? How can you really use it? And really, it varies from, from card to card. You know, you look at that Roar of the Worm, you weren't looking to play that for its original mana cost. You wanted to get it out of your hand into your graveyard and then flash it back. You know, so I, I, all of the flashback cards are kind of situational. So you'll see them pop up all over the place if the, if the ability is useful and the flashback cost is reasonable for what you're getting. Yeah. Um, and so just to break it down a little bit further for the dominant colors, it's 19 and this is for all of the, this is for all flashback cards. Yeah. All flashback cards. Uh, there's 19 in white, 26 in blue, 22 in black, 38 in red, 32 in green and 20 in multicolor. Now I gotta be honest when, when we did the breakdown of this, I expected flashback, especially with the popularity of Snapcaster Mage. I ex- really expected Blue to take the crown glory for, you know, they're going to have the most flashback cards. I did not think it would be red. I can kind of see it being red because, you know, red is, you know, 
burn stuff like that fast. Oh spells. yeah, and so it just kind of it kind of caught me off guard because I just I had always imagined flashback as really a blue ability, which why I don't couldn't tell you that to be honest, but I just always imagined a, spell it as a blue. Yeah, you know, but to see that red and then followed up by green that that just threw me for a loop. So now I want to build a red green flashback deck. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> I mean, it's in my favorite colors. Yeah, that's true. So we've talked about you know featured cards, dominant colors, whether or not it has a featured deck. Um, so let's go with how to play both with it and against it. So if you're going to be playing with flashback, uh, the flashback cost is going to vary. So plan accordingly. Uh, with uh, Roar of the Worm, it gets cheaper, but with Army of the Damned, it gets more expensive. So plan accordingly. With Lava Dart, you have to sacrifice a mountain. Yep. <laughs> you know, so yeah, plan accordingly. Uh, think of the flashback cards as an extension of your hand. You don't have to dig through your deck to find them because as soon as you play them, you now have access to them again for their flashback costs while also having to observe the timing restrictions. Yeah, that was one of the things that Mark Rosewater brought up when he was talking about the Midnight Hunt set. And he, he said, you know, a lot of people were giving him a hard time that flashback cost was more expensive than the original mana cost. And one of the points he brought up was, it's in your graveyard. You, you don't have to go dig for it. You don't have to go find it in your deck. You're not drawing it based on luck. It's there, and you always have it as an option until someone, you know, exiles it through graveyard hate. But uh, that, that was one of his main points, and that's one of the reasons why typically flashback costs are more expensive than the original cost because it's always available to you outside of your hand. And the last thing that you want to consider is how are you going to get your flashback cards into your graveyard? Are you going to do it as a mill strategy so that you can, um, once you have enough mana, you can start milling yourself out so that you can play some of the better ones for cheap, for cheaper? Or are you just going to do the normal and kind of envisioned route of just playing them once, letting them go to your yard, and then playing them again? Again, that one is how you want to do it. Personally, I want to get more the most value that I can out of my spells. I agree. And so I'll I'll most likely play them and then play them again from the graveyard. Um, and I was thinking with Army of the Damned, I might have to try to find my copy and put that into Conrad. Yeah. <laughs> because I could have that. I could, you know, cast it, get 13 zombies. Who cares if they come in tapped as long if I have a... Uh, um, like a Phyrexian Arena or somewhere yeah. that I can just sack them to get triggers off of Conrad and then use all of the mana that I create from that to cast it again. That's how, And just yeah, create true. a lot of value. So I'm actually going to be throwing one of those in because Conrad's <laughs> going to get tuned up some more. Awesome. <laughs> so that's all you want to... That's everything you want to consider with playing with it. Now, if you're playing against it, Joe, what do you want to do? You want to keep track of how many flashback cards are in a deck. As we've already discussed, there is no deck that's really focused around flashback. So if you see a flashback card, odds are it means that that card has some extreme value to the deck. So 
Pay attention to the flashback cards your opponent is using. You are allowed to make notes of them. And I don't just mean like in your head. I mean literally write down the cards that your opponents are playing. You're allowed to do that uh, for, for the game that you're currently playing. So when you're thinking about sideboarding in for games two or three, make a note of that. What cards have flashback that you might end up seeing again if there's something you really want to deal with. Now, you could also incorporate graveyard hate into your deck. But let's be honest, while graveyard hate is important, especially with the amount of graveyard decks that are out there, it takes up a slot in your deck. So do you really, do, do you have the space in your deck to incorporate graveyard hate? Not everybody does. I know in a lot of, especially my standard deck, my modern deck, the pioneer deck that I will probably build at some point, I don't really have room for graveyard hate because they're so focused, so aggressive on, on just beating my opponent down. So I don't really have room for it. My honest option is to just deal with the fact that they're going to have some cards with flashback and we'll get around it the best we can. I mean, now there are some cheaper options. There are some options that you could do have available for graveyard right. hate. If it's available to you, uh, Bajookabog is always a good one. You're right. Because it's... Again, a, depending on the format. Yep. Because it's utility land, so... Yeah. There's payoff for that. Um, Tormat, Tormat Crip is a... Um, it's an egg, so mm -hmm. it's, zero, it's a zero drop. You can easily sideboard that. You can have that in your sideboard as, as an option. But okay. again, you have to then put up... You have to put a slot in your sideboard for that. Is it something you really, really want to do? Maybe, maybe not. Just depends. And then you got to hope you draw it because odds are you're not putting four copies in your in your sideboard. So, again, graveyard hate, I think it's important. You just need to really evaluate what your deck is doing and how important is that flashback card that's in your opponent's graveyard. I mean, if it's, if it's an important card, yes, you need to get rid of it. If you can work around it, maybe you just want to work around it and deal with it, you know. Finally, you are absolutely allowed to ask what cards are in your opponent's graveyard. It's a public zone. It is. It's a public zone. Any, any public zone is free information. So if you, you can ask them, look, how many cards are in your graveyard? What are the cards in your graveyard? And you can immediately, you know, and they, they have to tell you. There's, there's no way around it because it's a public zone. So... And if they fight you on it, just raise your hand and call Judge. Exactly. Judge, I'd like to know what's in his graveyard. He won't tell me. She won't tell me. You know, whatever. Um, but, yeah, you know, use that information to your, to your ability. Uh, don't be a jerk about it, and definitely don't ask them every turn, what's in your graveyard, what's in your graveyard, what's in your graveyard. Then you're going to have a problem. But if there's a flashback card in there and you're concerned about it, you want to know exactly what it is, uh, don't be afraid to ask. It's perfectly fine. Now, as we've been saying, flashback cards, they appear across various formats. Honestly, though, I think the most common usage you see of them is in commander decks. Uh, but that's just anecdotal evidence. I don't really know that for um, sure. Whenever I was at the Grand Prix, mm -hmm. uh, there were some uh, Boros Burn decks that had Lava right. Darts and stuff in them. Um, I think there was someone that was running a Spellslinger deck that had... Uh, a um, couple of uh, Snapcaster Mages and some... Right, Snapcaster Mage, though. It, well, it Snapcaster gives, Mage yeah. with... Uh, I think it was actually an Is It Burn deck. Oh, okay. So they had Snapcaster with... Right. 
with some flashback stuff, but yeah. there isn't really a deck that's built solely around flashback, but they're more support cards than anything. Yeah. Um, so that, and you'll find it in pretty much any and any all format. format. Yeah. The only time you, you won't find it in standard once uh, Midnight Hunt rotates out. Unless, you know, it, unless, unless they, they decide to put it in the next in another set, yep. yeah. But typically, you don't find it in standard. Um, but outside of that, it's you know. Well, and actually, you wouldn't have found it in Pioneer because the first Innistrad is not legal in Pioneer. Huh? And yeah, so up until now, you would not have found Flashback in Pioneer. Now you will. So yeah, just something to think about. All right, so. That's it for this episode primarily, but there is no extended reading, except we do have a little bit of scuttlebutt that we would like to discuss, and it's regarding something that's kind of, what, would you say that it's kind of, sort of, maybe controversial in the magic world? Oh, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little bit. (laughs) For those of you that are wondering, he did not have his fingers... An inch apart, he had them about a foot apart. Yeah, yeah. So our scuttlebutt for this this episode has to do with the Secret Lair, Universes Beyond series. Uh, For those of you that may not know, has it really been a year? No. No, it can't have been a year. I don't remember. Did it come out around the time of my tattoo? Because that was a year year ago. Uh, We're going to go with yes then. A, a significant amount of time ago, because time has no meaning at this point. Yep. Wizards teamed up with the folks at The Walking Dead and created a secret lair that featured a series of cards that were functionally unique. You could only get them through the secret lair. The secret lair was only available for a limited amount of time. And yet these cards could be played in any eternal format, meaning any format that doesn't rotate. Um, so like Commander, Legacy, Vintage, that kind of an idea. You could not play them in modern. modern. You could not do it in modern. They, modern doesn't rotate. Right, but they were not legal in modern. Ah. Uh, it, yeah. So uh, they, they weren't legal in modern. They weren't legal in Pioneer. Uh, but basically, you know, like your, your Commander, your Legacy, your Vintage. Okay. Uh, it, it caused a huge, huge commotion in the magic community. That's putting it lightly. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're not here to talk about that commotion so much. We're here to talk about the fact that people were mostly upset that they were functionally unique cards. And the only way you could get these functionally unique cards was through getting the secret lair. Which was spending money on just this one item. Exactly. And especially when all the other secret layers had been just new art, reprints, you know. Granted, they were really nice oh, yeah. and, and highly like, desirable. Oh, yeah. My, uh, let's see, I got the, I got the dog one. Right. Mm-hmm. And that one's just absolutely adorable. And yeah. it has some good cards in it, but I mostly bought it because it was really cute dog art. Yeah. And, like, the fact that, and... These secret layers aren't cheap. No, like, they're not. The, the one that Joe and I are both waiting on, the uh, Frexian one, the Praetors that 
It was forty bucks. Yep, it was forty dollars. Yeah. Forty dollars for craters. The um the secret layer that's coming out for um extra life. Yeah, uh, that's what six six or eight cards, and it's again forty dollars. Yeah. So bare minimum, you're going to be spending forty dollars at least. Yeah. On these things, and so it was very limiting to who could get it. And so Watsy decided to try and change that. So instead of it being exclusive to only a certain area, they decided to put these into the list rotation. And and what they're going to do, they're they're going to create in Magic Universe cards. So something similar to what they did with the Godzilla cards of uh, of the Aquarius set, which. No one had a problem with those. Oh, yeah. They were very... They was interesting, unique, fun. Uh, you could get your hands on the, the the kaiju cards if you wanted. You could have the regular magic cards if you wanted. Both were fine. And really, no one batted an eye if you dropped Mothra or Luminous Broodmoth. It didn't matter. I, I, I just realized I have three of the, uh, yeah. the kaiju cards. Yeah. I have... Uh, the Void Beckoner one, that's uh, Space Godzilla Death Corona. Yeah. The original one, not the reprint. Yeah. Um, I have uh, Mecha Godzilla, mm-hmm. that's the Hangerback Walker. Yeah, I have one of those. And then I have the other Mecha Godzilla that is uh, the Chrysalis. Yes. Um, and that one's in Japanese. So. I'm okay with. With yeah, it being that that was w- never w- a problem with that crossover. Yeah, that was never a problem with people because you had you had cards that did the same thing that everybody could get. Well, just different art with the with the release or with the the debut of the Stranger Things secret lair, which we all knew Watsy was going to double down. The Walking Dead secret lair just did too well. We knew they were going to print more of them with different uh, intellectual property. Watsy has come out and said they are going to create in Magic Universe cards for The Walking Dead and the Secret or and uh, Stranger Things, and they're going to include them in set boosters through what they call the list. Uh, now the list is its own thing. It's its list of, I think that it's somewhere between two hundred fifty and three hundred cards from throughout Magic's history that can be found in about one in every four or five set boosters. I'm really glad that they are printing in Magic Universe cards, and they're going to be made available so that anybody can pick them up. I was very vocal about the fact that um, if you dropped Rick, Steadfast, whatever, as a commander, I, I, I would not be overly happy about that. Um, and I know, you know, people have varying opinions on that. I am one that falls on the the side of, please don't, please, please don't. In fact, uh, the buy a box promo for the Aquarius set is a Godzilla card that it has a magic card name. It has a, a magic universe card name, but they never printed Zalortha strength incarnate. It is only Godzilla. And so because of that, I will not play my Godzilla. I want to build a commander deck around it, but I won't play it because it's not a functional card that everybody can get their hands on. You had to do the buy box um, in order to get one. But I think this is a good step in the right direction. It's not the best, and 
it's not the best solution, but it's on the right path. The yeah. list can use a little bit of work because if you're going to make something oh, rare, that's... if you're going to have something as as limited as the list and only one in like four or five packs that you can get yeah. it out of. If I, like you said earlier, whenever we were before recording, if you pull a common from mm-hmm. the list, great. It just doesn't feel very good. Yeah, you can go to the, you can go to the common, you can go to the bulk boxes and pull them all day. Why spend the original, like literally original ones, you know, from the original set? You can just go get them, you know. So now, mind you, there have there are some really good. Um, cards on the list oh yeah your godsire for instance yeah um there are i've pulled i've pulled a few that have been good can't remember them for the life of me because they were pretty much like back when the list was introduced Mm -hmm. and i was and i decided to just spend a bunch of money on some on some cardboard to see if i could get anything good (laughs) uh turns out i got some some stuff that were kind of good but definitely didn't make my money back no 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 and i get and that that's the problem with the list but that's a completely different issue, um, and one that needs to be addressed separately with Wizards. But I really am glad they're making magic, magic versions of Walking Dead and of Stranger Things. You know, I, I think it is a step in the right direction, and it, it's especially good because originally Watsy had said they had no intention of ever really going back and doing that for Walking Dead secret lair it is what it is deal with it people and since then they've gone back and they've rescinded it um and decided that they will go ahead and make cards that are the in magic universe that anybody can get so i guess i'm i'm really i'm pleased to hear that uh we'll see how things actually roll out um Given Watsy's ability to roll things out in a timely manner, I doubt it will happen anytime soon. I mean, let's be honest, we were supposed to get our Praetor secret layers by this point, and they haven't, mine hasn't even shipped yet. I don't know about yours. Nope. Yeah, and those were three months ago, those those orders closed. So, the orders closed <laughs> three months ago, and just last week, yeah, the, the secret layer payment was processed. Yeah. So, I didn't even re- I I honestly kind of forgot about it until you until you said something in the group. Yeah. In the group chat that we have. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes, but it I, it is a step in the right direction. So, and I hope that if they if they continue with this universe is beyond, which I know they plan to um <laughs> I just hope they they continue in this footstep or in this path and they get those in magic universe cards out a little bit faster after the secret layer comes out. I think it'd be good for people in the long run. So, but that's just me. All right. Well, let's call this scuttlebutt to a close, get back to work, maybe play some magic. So let's move to the cleanup. Uh, Like I said, at the top of the episode, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, show ideas, or even vocab words or stories that you would like to share with us, you can go ahead and email us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com, and you can find us on both Facebook and Twitter at mtgunderthehood. Thank you for listening to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. We look forward to delving deeper under the hood with you in our next episode. Stay tuned.